Welcome to Tell Us About It, Victim Research Convos, a podcast from the Center for Victim Research with support from the Office for Victims of Crime. On each episode of Tell Us About It, we talk to researchers and practitioners about their work, the tools being built for use in the field, and how we can work together to build an evidence base for victim services. Today, we're talking with Cecilia Miller and Valerie Clark about their work together in a partnership funded by the Center for Victim Research. Cecilia and Valerie, welcome. Please introduce yourselves to our audience. Hi, I'm Cecilia Miller from the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. I'm the Grants Director for the Crime Victim Services Grants. Hey, I'm Valerie Clark. I'm the Director of the Minnesota Statistical Analysis Center. Cecilia and Valerie, your agencies joined together in a research partnership. Valerie, what was the focus of that research? We wanted to find out what crime victim services are currently available in juvenile facilities and what types of um, resources these facilities think they need in order to serve young victims of crime. Cecilia, why was this focus important to you as a VOC administrator? The Statistical Analysis Center has done, over time, uh, reports every three years in conjunction with this Minnesota Student Survey. Uh, The report is called Youth in Minnesota Correctional Facilities and Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs, as we'll refer to them. Uh, That report has shown a great disparity um, between what mainstream youth report and what youth in correctional facilities report with regard to ACEs and their experiences, including things like suicide attempts um, and uh, experience being a crime victim of a variety of crimes. And um, we were, as a VOCA administrator, I've been trying to think about how we get services to people who may not be seeking services now? Who's underfunded in our state? What are the gaps? Where are we not reaching people? And youth in correctional facilities, I thought was quite likely one of those gaps and with a very high incidence of crime victimization. So we wanted to see, we wanted to assess really what is happening for youth that are in Minnesota correctional facilities. Great. Valerie, what would you add to that? Um, Since, as Cecilia said, your agency had done this work looking at the ACE scores, what were you looking for as you started this research project? Um, Well, I I didn't come up with the idea for the project. It was more Cecilia. But, you know, once she said or asked, what are we currently doing in facilities? It seemed like something we should have already been thinking about um, because all of our work in all of my past research, um, there's a mountain of evidence that young people, and especially young people in the juvenile justice system, have very high rates of victimization. And a large focus of this entire office is about crime victim services. And, you know, we do some work with juveniles, but we didn't seem to connect the dots previously about, oh, this major um, focus of our office, all these resources we have, it seems like We don't do anything with juveniles right now, so what could we be doing? Um, And I I know that some juvenile facilities, they already think about trauma, and they think a lot about ACEs, but more broadly, not focused on victimization or violent crime. So I thought it it was a 
kind of an aha moment. So Valerie, were there any other agencies that were involved in this project with your, with your two agencies? Yes. Um, in Minnesota, our juvenile justice system is decentralized. Um, so there's this committee that they kind of loosely oversee juvenile services in Minnesota, the Juvenile Justice Advisory Committee, or JJAC. Um, they are appointed by the governor, but there's a, a liaison who is housed in our office who is responsible for ensuring that um, juvenile inspections take place, that we're doing something about disproportionate minority contact and things like that. So before this project officially started, when we were still applying for it, we met with that liaison to say, you know, is this a feasible project? Would this be worthwhile? Um, and how should we approach facilities? What would be the most appropriate way to get their involvement or the best way to get their involvement? And we heard that Hennepin County, which is the largest county in Minnesota, was doing something um, related or similar. They were looking at trauma-informed care just in Hennepin County facilities, and they were focused on LGBTQ youth. <clears throat> so we met with them say, you know, what are you doing? Um, like, how are you surveying the facilities or what exactly are you looking at? Because we didn't want to duplicate their work. Um, we also went to the Minnesota Department of Corrections. They license almost all of the agencies that we were working with. And we wanted to um, first get their approval on the survey. They have their own institutional review board. So we had to get their approval on the survey, not for all facilities, just for the one facility that they directly operate. But because they license all the other facilities, we thought it would be a good idea just to get their approval. I think those are all the facilities that, or all the other agencies that we worked with. So after the two of you talked with the JJAC liaison and the Hennepin County facility and the Department of Corrections, what at that point, what did you want to know as you started the survey? What did you want to know from the juvenile facilities? We wanted to know um, first, do they have any any procedures or or processes that could be used to actually identify victims? You know, are they aware of the victims that are in their facilities? Um, what? programs or treatment options do they currently have available for victims? And um, the most important would be what do they think that they need in order to better serve victims or to serve victims at all? We already, we knew that, you know, at least some are very progressive in their way ahead. They already think about trauma-informed care. They've already implemented trauma-informed care. But we also know that some facilities, they only hold juveniles for a short time. They don't have time to do all these different things. They don't have the money or the staff to do everything. So we know there, we knew there was probably a lot of diversity in terms of what they could do. And we just wanted to find out the full picture. I wanted to know specifically as well, if they knew about the victim service agencies in their communities, if they were connected to them and were working with them, or if the agencies in their communities that we fund to provide crime victim services 
um, was actually providing any services within the facility. So we were trying to assess that connection and see if they if they knew who these programs were and were utilizing any services there. So then how did you go about crafting the questions to get the level of detail that you were after in a way that would encourage them to finish the whole survey? Well, prior to actually administering the survey, we wanted to send them a letter, and it was an old-fashioned letter mailed through the the U.S. Postal Service um, to give our survey some legitimacy and to introduce the project and the goals of the project. And to really emphasize that we're not here to judge you um, or to get you in trouble with your licensing agency or to expose you in any way, because there have been some high profile media incidents about things that have gone on in some juvenile facilities. And we just wanted to let them know that that's not what we are here to talk about. We want to just know about you know, your your current juvenile populations and what resources you have. And then to also emphasize that we're here to help, maybe, if we can, um, not to assume too much, but to let them know we might have some resources that might be of value to you. And we just want to find out what you need. And then the survey itself, again, approaching them in a way that um, lets them know that we're not some kind of authority. We're not here to wag our fingers at you or to shame you for what you you don't do or what you do, but just to really get a basic assessment of what you have and maybe what you need. So Valerie, as you launched this survey, did you have any challenges in fielding it? There were surprisingly few challenges. Um, Right away when we contacted facilities, a few came back right away and asked, how would, is this going to affect my license? Um, are you going to report us based on what we say? And what are you going to do with the data that you collect? So ideally, we would have made the survey completely anonymous, and we would not have asked for any identifying information. But we also didn't want just one individual to speak for an entire facility, knowing that different staff from different parts of a facility might have different ideas. So we wanted to get a number of individual responses and then sort of average those out to represent a single facility. So we needed to know at least what facility each respondent came from so that once we collected all the responses, we could group them by facility. I let the people asking, you know, why can't this be anonymous? I do not want these responses sitting somewhere with my facility's name attached to it. Um, So what are you going to do with the data? Why do you need to ask us what facility we're coming from? So I explained that and I assured them that any report that we write is going to be completely, um, or all the identifying information will be completely taken out. And then once we have collected all the data, we have written the report and finished the project, we will destroy the data, which we have. So we just assured them that their their information would be protected. And we would, more importantly, we would not be reporting anything that they tell us to their licensing agency. And we're also not collecting any information that would be pertinent to their license. We're not asking about abuses or 
things that happen within the facility or any victimization experiences that happen once the juveniles are taken in. We are more concerned with past victimization with this project. This is Cecilia. In the cover letter that was sent to the facilities, it asked that they give it out to a variety of staff. We were asking for as many people as possible to complete the survey. Great. So that you could get the, the complete perspective from the um, from each facility. And then in your report, did you identify facilities by name or did you just group them by type? No. In the report, we didn't identify anyone that participated. And we just gave basic characteristics of all the participants. So whether they're a short-term holding facility or a long-term residential facility, um, their capacity, which varies quite a bit, their general location in the state, but nothing where you could actually identify a facility. So Cecilia, what did you learn about screening and services for victimized juveniles? I was surprised when I saw the results that the screening part wasn't 100%. But then it was explained to me that in so, you have some situations that's, that act a bit more like a foster home. And so they're not using really, they're not using screening tools. So that percentage in the report was 93%. And then I, that helped me understand why that wasn't 100%. So I learned that some of them know where there's crime victim services in their community. Some of them are accessing crime victim services from those agencies in their community. Some don't know anything about where to access crime victim services. One of the most common responses was that they wanted more training. And that was very helpful to know. So it was really a mix. I was pleased about the responsiveness to addressing crime victimization, understanding the trauma-informed focus, the tools that they were using. I More was happening in the facilities than I knew, and that was helpful to know. Valerie, what would you add to that? Um, I, I knew that a lot of the facilities were, were obligated by law or by licensure to conduct um, intake assessments or different types of assessments. I was pleasantly surprised with the types of assessment tools that they were using. These are widely used, validated, and credible instruments. So I was I was happy to see that a number of facilities, not all of them, were using really credible tools that include questions about past victimization or trauma experiences that could be useful for identifying victims and treating victims. Did you learn anything about the facilities or their operations that was unexpected? Yes. Um, I have been responsible for collecting data from many of these facilities for a few years. So I was somewhat familiar with most of the facilities, and I've seen their names a lot, and I felt like I was familiar with them. But then when I was going to um, get their addresses and the names of administrators to, to send them a letter in the mail, I, I saw names that were, you know, Mr. and Mrs. And I, I realized that some of these facilities are actually just homes. They're, they're family homes and these are actual foster residences. And that really just drove home what I, what I thought I already knew, which is that these facilities are very diverse. They're very diverse in size, 
in scope. Um, some of them have specific treatment targets. They're focused on chemical dependency or they're focused on young sex offenders. But I, it really, I was surprised with you know, how much they vary in, in capacity and what they can do. Cecilia, as a VOC administrator, how do you plan to use what you've learned? I spoke with the coalitions in our state about this report, and I'm anxious to get it, it finalized on our end with all the information we want to put into it and distribute it. Um, but we want to do targeted outreach to the Crime Victim Service grantees in the areas of these facilities and actually have the grant managers help connect programs to facility staff and to see about how we can help in um, providing more services, whether it is within the facility, whether it is uh, as a resource when the youth are discharged, um, whatever could be helpful in that community. So uh, some already have a great relationship. There's a few, but not the majority. And I want to see how we can be increasing the crime victim services or the youth, increasing that connection. We also are collecting all of the contact information for the facilities and including them in our email blast information about the annual crime victim conference that we hold every year in the middle of Minnesota in May. And because this would be a great opportunity for staff to come and get training about various aspects of crime victim services. So we're looking to see if any of these facilities are already on our list. And if not, we're adding them. I think that they're probably not on it. And it would be great to include them and have them come. We also are talking about what kind of sessions we can provide specific to these agencies within the Crime Victim Conference agenda, both as um, to help get them there and to provide information that is very direct and relevant to them in the work that they're doing. Right, because you all said that a lot of the agencies spoke about their desire to get more training, that they're already doing some screening, but they really would would like more training. How are you thinking about those training needs? Well, both with the with the Crime Victim Conference and then also in directly related to the Crime Victim Services program in the area, see if that program can come in and do an in-service with the staff. So various techniques in that way, or just, uh, I mean, that's a start. I think there could be significantly more, but that's a start. We met with the liaison, the JJAC liaison yesterday about some other things we want to do for this report, like to create a, a map of the state of Minnesota and where each of these are located and to provide that information to the crime victim programs and the coalitions. Great. Valerie, anything to add to that? Yes. As Cecilia said, we met with our JJAC liaison yesterday, and we talked about attending and presenting at one of the upcoming JJAC meetings to, to share the report with them and then to get their feedback. Um, the number one cited need by the facilities was more training. Unfortunately, it was a short survey, so we didn't ask exactly what kind of training they would like. So we want to get more feedback on 
what training would be of interest to the facilities. So we we finished writing the report. We sent a draft of the report to all the facilities to get their information and to make sure that we didn't mess up any information, that we we had our terminology correct, and that we we painted an accurate portrait of juvenile justice in Minnesota. And then we're still working on making a more public-facing, accessible report with less jargon and more useful information to both crime victim service providers and juvenile facilities. And we have to work with our communications department to make that report um, published on our website and to make sure it's widely disseminated. That's great, because it would be a shame to do all that great work and then not have it get out to the people who need to see it. Right. What was interesting, too, in looking at the the initial report and the jargon was that for me, there were many things that were confusing that I think would also be confusing for the crime victim programs. Just the different definitions of facilities and how they're categorized, what short-term and long-term mean. Like I did not know that short-term could mean six hours. Uh, I, was just, I was assuming three weeks. And for why a short-term individual, a short-term youth would not be able to be assessed for for past experiences. You know, six hours, that's a very short time to have somebody in your facility. So there were there were things about the juvenile justice world I did not know and understand that I don't think the crime victim programs would know and understand. So we're looking at the the jargon and the language in the report to make it um, accessible for a wide variety of people. Great. Let me take a step back and ask, have your two agencies ever worked together before? Yes, we're, we're in the same office. There's an office of about 37 people. So we see each other throughout the day. We're trying to do more of it. And this project was a really great jumping off point for that. The work that we've done before has been minimal. The work together we've done before has been minimal. So we want to do more. And we've been trying to think about how can the Statistical Analysis Center be more helpful to what crime victim service programs need, to what coalitions need, to the ways that we look at our data. There's many opportunities in front of us. And I feel like we are just at that beginning point. Valerie, what if your two agencies are in the same office, what does that close proximity to each other mean for your ability to work together on some of this future work? I think it helps a lot with meeting together. It it uh, reduces a lot of barriers between us. We see each other in the hallways, in the break room, at the lunch table, and you can you can be more casual. It doesn't it feels a lot less intimidating to to reach out and say, hey, can we meet? We can just walk by each other's offices and say, do you have time right now? Or can I come back in an hour? And so it, it definitely makes it a lot easier to communicate and work together. That's great. Do you have anything else to add about where your partnership goes from here? Do you have any direct plans in the works? So the Crime Victim Services staff have been able to provide input on the Minnesota Student Survey. That's administered every three years. And um, the Statistical Analysis Center analyzes it and uh, puts out reports. 
And I think that we it would be very helpful if we were doing more promotion of that report across our crime victim service programs and with the coalitions. And that we find other ways to tie our work together. I think that that would be a great thing. Valerie, any closing thoughts from you? Um, well, we recently started working on a statewide crime victim needs assessment. And this project started before we even began talking about doing a statewide assessment, but it fits right in with the, the overall goal of the department to find out what groups or what populations are currently not served and what can we do to make sure our resources reach all crime victim populations, including young people. So we have not done this formalized of a statewide needs assessment before. And we do a competitive process for all the crime victim funding every five years. So um, I also need this needs assessment for the VAWA planning, uh, our our statewide implementation plan for VAWA funding. So it's exciting to think about this needs assessment and, and what it can tell us and how it can help us, because we do have crime victim services spread very widely across our state. But I'm trying to get at all of those individuals. How, how do we expand services to those individuals who may not identify as a crime victim, uh, don't initially seek out services? How can we increase our outreach and promotion of services? Because there is a lot of accessibility across our state for a wide variety of crime victim services. But um, so I'm excited about the needs assessment. The Statistical Analysis Center is heading that up. Uh, we're talking about contracting for part of it. And uh, I'm really relying on their expertise and it should be broadly helpful to them and to crime victim services in general, also may be helpful to JJAC. Wow, this sounds like it's such a great partnership and you all have been doing such solid work. Well, thank you both for sharing so much of your time and sharing your work with us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Us About It. If there are research or practice experts you'd like us to interview or research tools you'd like us to feature on this podcast, email us at podcasts at victimresearch.com. Org. Tell Us About It is a production of the Center for Victim Research, funded by the Office for Victims of Crimes Vision 21 Initiative through Cooperative Agreement Number 2016-XVGXK006. The Office for Victims of Crime is part of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs. However, the points of view and opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the host and expert contributors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice. 